you and I fail. We go through a lot of things, and most of the time we fail at them, but he's, he never failed. Amen. I appreciate the Lord tonight. If you would turn your Bibles to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Again, it is a privilege to be here on this Wednesday night service. I was up at the radio station today talking to another preacher, and I was just talking about how I love Wednesday night services. It's probably my favorite services of the week, and I love to be at the house of the Lord anytime. It seems like on Sunday morning, I don't know what it is, it seems like it's fast-paced on Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, you're wore out, amen, you come in dragging, especially if you take a nap, you feel ten times worse. I don't know why we do that. Uh, but something about Wednesday night, I know, I know most of you have worked, and I haven't physically worked today. I try not to do that on Wednesday night, if I, or Wednesday, if I can help it. Uh, but I know some of you, you've worked and you're tired, but there's just something about the midweek service that I, I enjoy. I'm thankful for it tonight. Psalm 32, as we're continuing on in our psalm, if you're able tonight. Let's stand together and uh, we'll look at this great psalm tonight. This is one of the more familiar psalms. As we begin to read it, I think you'll see why. Verse number one said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held with the bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the privilege again to be in your house this evening. Thank you for the reading of your word and this great psalm that you've assigned for us this evening. And Lord, what an encouraging truth we find here in these verses. And I pray you'd speak to us tonight. I'm thankful for your word. I'm glad, Lord, that you've given us a completed Bible. I'm glad that we have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And Lord, you can give us the truth out of the Scripture tonight. And as we get it, it'll strengthen us and help us. Lord, I pray you'd encourage your people tonight. And if there's one under the sound of our voice that's not saved, may they see how wonderful it is to be saved. And have a conviction in their heart and be born again before it's too late. Father, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Now, Psalm 32, again, is probably one of the most or more familiar psalms out of the entire book of Psalms. There's a lot of preaching, a lot of uh, songs have been written about certain verses in this psalm. Now, the title of the psalm here, of course, the psalm of David, is called a maskil, and that simply means a, a teaching psalm, a didactic psalm, a psalm of instruction. And I'm reminded of what the Scripture tells us uh, in 2 Timothy about how all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, uh, for rebuke, and for instruction in righteousness. So this is one of those psalms that gives us instruction. 
And there's great need for instruction in the lives of God's people. I was talking to a man earlier today. We were talking about different kinds of preaching. And he mentioned how that he enjoyed the preaching that he learned something from. And that's the kind of preaching I like. Amen? I, I don't have time to sit for 30 or 45 minutes and see a show of the flesh. I'm not interesting, interested in how a man can act on the outside, but I'm interested in what thus saith the Word of God. And this is a psalm tonight that instructs us. So we ought to take great heed to it. Now, I want to look at verse 7 just to begin with, and then we'll back up to verse 1. As with all these psalms, I, I think there's a key verse in all of them. And really, it just depends on who's studying it. You may study this psalm. You may find a verse in it that you feel like is a key verse. But verse number 7, as I was reading this and reading this leading up to tonight's service, verse number 7 really caught my attention. Notice what the psalmist said, speaking to the Lord and of the Lord. He said, Thou art my hiding place. And I want to take that thought tonight and preach just a little while on these 11 verses on the thought of help from the hiding place. I'm glad tonight that we can get help from the Lord who is our hiding place. Now all through the Scripture you'll find various different names and various different attributes that are given to the Lord. He's called the rock. He's called many different things. He's, he's our Lord and Savior and many, many technical names that are for God. And here tonight we find the psalmist David calling him a hiding place. When you think about a hiding place, you think about a place of safety, a place of security, a place of sanity where you can dwell in and rest and know that everything's going to be all right. And I'm glad, especially in the day that we're living in, that our Savior, our Lord, is our hiding place. So I'm going to look at these 11 verses just for a little while tonight, give you about five things that I see here in this psalm about getting help from the hiding place, which is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when he opens up this psalm, David is dealing with his sin. I'm not sure exactly what sin he's dealing with here. Uh, we could speculate on it, but it'd just be opinion. But David is definitely dealing with his sin. And God is dealing with his sin. And I'm thankful tonight for a Savior that is interested in dealing with our sin. Now, most people would say, well, if God really cared, He'd just leave us alone. If God really loved us, He'd just let us do what we want to do and live any way we want to and never call us on the carpet for it, for it never chastise us for that. But that's right the opposite of what the truth is. Because God loves us, because He cares about us, then He deals with our sin. And He brings us to a place where we must deal with our sin. So David opens up with that. The first thing that I want you to notice tonight in the first two verses of this psalm is from the hiding place, we get help with our sin. I think we all realize tonight we're no match for sin. We do not have the ability, as far as just we are concerned, to deal with the issue of sin. It's greater than us. It's bigger than us. It's more powerful than we can handle on our own. We need a Savior. We need a God. We need a Lord. We need our hiding place to help us with our sin. Now in verse number 1, David deals with our faults. Notice how he opens this psalm. He said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So David immediately lets us know that we are a people with transgression. The word here that he uses is the word whose, and it's the same thought of the word whosoever. Anyone and everyone deals with transgression. All of us at one time in our life, if you're saved tonight, one time in our life we were positionally sinners. But even though we're saved tonight, we still deal with a sin nature. We still have to deal with sin. I wish that we had gotten saved and there would be no sin to deal with. But it's not that way. God didn't see fit for that because as long as we have these earthly bodies and these earthly fleshly minds, we're going to deal with sin. So David is reminding the reader of 
this psalm tonight that we are a people full of transgressions. We're a people full of faults. And David said, Blessed is he, any man, whose transgression is forgiven. Now, to have transgression forgiven, we must first come to the realization that we have transgression. Sadly, there are a lot of people in this world that if you pin them down and you ask them about their sin or their transgression, they'll say, no, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. They'll point the finger at somebody else, but they'll never acknowledge their own sin. And you'll never get anywhere with God until you acknowledge your sin. If you're saved tonight, it was because there was a day in your life where you acknowledged your sin and you acknowledged that you were a sinner. And then since you've been saved, if you'd be honest, we've had to acknowledge many, many times since the moment of salvation that we have to deal with sin. So David's reminding us of that tonight. The word transgression simply means a moral or a religious revolt. Any time that we go against God, any time we go against His Word, we are committing a transgression. So David deals with our faults. Then also he mentions our forgiveness found also in verse number 1. He said, blessed is he whose transgression, it doesn't stop there, but he goes on to say, is forgiven whose sin is covered. Thank God tonight for that simple word of forgiveness. How powerful that word is. Out of those seven cries that Jesus uh, uttered on the cross, one of the greatest ones, they were all great, but one of the most familiar ones is, is Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That, that cry of forgiveness. And aren't you glad tonight that Jesus spoke to you one day and gave you that cry of forgiveness, pronounced forgiveness. We cried out to Him, and then He forgave us. And only God can forgive sin. The Scripture teaches us that. So David reminds us we get help from the hiding place, the Lord Himself, with our sin. Man cannot forgive sin. Contrary to what the religious crowd would say, what the Catholic priest would tell you, and many other religions would say, man cannot forgive sin. Mary cannot forgive sin. Mary had sin just like the rest of us. She had to come by the way of the cross just like anybody else did. There's only one that can forgive sin, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. He's the only one that's able to erase our iniquity and put forgiveness to our account. So you find that David is teaching us tonight that this hiding place, the Lord, helps us with our sin. He helps us with our faults and with forgiveness. It comes from the Lord. Because God is the one offended, He is the one that must forgive. Do you know if you offend someone tonight, you can go to their neighbor, you can go to their spouse, you can go to their brother, their sister, their co-worker, and ask forgiveness, but it's not going to do you any good. If you offend somebody, you've got to go to them to get real forgiveness. And forgiveness of sin comes from the one we have offended, which is the Lord Himself. Now notice something else about this help with our sin that our hiding place gives us. He deals with our faith. Look in verse number 2. He said, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Now, the Bible teaches what we call the doctrine of imputation. You find it to begin with, really, in the life of Abraham. When Abraham was following the Lord, God had called him out of his homeland, out of the earth of the Chaldees, and God gave Abraham a promise there in Genesis 15. He called Abraham out on one dark, starry night. I think he took him up on the mountainside, no doubt, where there was no obstruction between Abraham and the night sky. And the Lord told Abraham, he said, Look up into heaven, Abraham. He said, See all the stars of the sky. He said, So shall thy seed be. He was giving him a promise of not just Isaac, the promised seed, but eventually Christ, our heavenly Isaac, the great promised seed. And the Bible said in verse 6 of Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. That's the doctrine of imputation. It simply means that God reckons or accounts us as righteous when we believe Him. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, For by grace are you saved 
believe through faith, and that not of yourselves. That, that phrase, that not of yourselves, that's talking about faith. We don't even have the faith to save ourselves. That faith comes from God. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So that doctrine of imputation is, is shown here in Psalm 32, 2. He said, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Now this is the negative side of that doctrine, where the Lord doesn't account iniquity to us. We'd all agree tonight. We're all sinners. We know that. We go to various different places in the Bible. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 3.23, 6.23 teaches us that. But you find the negative fault of it here where he said, The Lord imputeth not iniquity. So if the Lord imputes to us righteousness, then it stands to reason on the flip side of that coin that he imputeth not iniquity. And that's what David is, is rejoicing about tonight in verse 2. Our faith in Christ, only faith in Christ, can bring that to pass in our life. Only faith in Christ can save us. Only faith in Christ can justify us and pronounce us right in the side of God. So as David is illustrating and teaching us here about this sin issue, he deals with our faith. And then also, he mentions our fix in verse number 2. He said, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about evil and wickedness that is bound in the heart of every man. But he says when God saves us, when we exercise faith, when God deals with our sin, no longer are we guilty. No longer are we full of guile. He's talking about the fix in our life. And if we really get saved, we're fixed. That's really the only way to get fixed, amen? That's really the only way to get right with God is to be saved. Our life is a mess without God. You can turn over a new leaf. You can try to uh, live a clean life. You can try to do better. But there's no genuine fix until an individual deals with their sin. That's why there's a lot of people sitting on church pews and they're absolutely miserable. And they're in and they're out and they're up and down. There's no consistency in their life. There's no reality of salvation in their life. The problem is they're still broke. They're broke uh, church members, amen, or, or broke people that have been through the waters of baptistry, but they've never been fixed. When we really get fixed, God changes our life. When we really get saved, there is a change in that life. God will change how you think. He will change how you talk. He will change how you walk. He will change your heart's desires. One of the great reasons that I know I'm saved tonight, and I think you would testify if you're saved, you'd agree with me. One of the great reasons I know I'm saved tonight is I don't do the things that I used to do. I don't want to. I don't go the places I used to go. I don't want to. I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't want to. God has fixed me when I got saved. Amen. So David deals with the hiding place, the Lord, being a help for our sin. And when we deal with sin, He's the only help that we can find. Now notice secondly tonight, not only does the hiding place help us with our sin, but He helps us with our supplication. Look in verse 3 with me if you would. In verse 3, David goes on to illustrate how the Lord, the hiding place, is helping him. Now this is a past tense thought here, but we can bring it up to where we live. It'll help us just as well as it did David in his day. He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Now, first of all, David mentions our silence. A lot of times when, whether a sinner is sinful and in sin and, and doesn't want to get saved, they stay silent to the Lord. They don't call out to the Lord. That's what's hindering sinners from getting saved. God deals with their heart. They remain silent. They don't get saved. But if they'll call out to God, Romans 10 tells us that. If we'll confess our sin in John 1, He's faithful just to forgive us our sin. Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's 
it's the silence of the sinner that keeps them from being saved. It's not that God doesn't want to save them, and it's not that God hasn't done everything necessary to save them, but it's the silence that keeps them getting saved. The, the, the only barrier between those that are lost and we that are saved is the fact that those that are lost have not called on the name of the Lord. They've not believed Him by faith. So David here, now I don't think he's talking about a time of lost here. I think he's talking about a time of transgression, of sin in his life after he's known the Lord. can really work either way. After you get saved and sin comes into our life, we allow sin to enter in, we're disobedient. If we remain silent over that sin and we don't deal with it, then we're not going to get help from the Lord. So David's talking about that silence here in verse 3. He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. David is talking about the prideful human nature that we all have that wants to remain silent instead of confessing our sin. You say, I don't understand what you're talking about, okay? Here's a good illustration. If you've got children, you'll understand this. If you've got more than one child, you'll definitely understand this. Have you ever been in a situation where your children have done something wrong? Maybe you come into a room, something's broken, something's messed up, and there's a couple of them standing there, and you look at them and say, okay, who did this? I, I, did, I did this just the other night. There was something left out in the house, and I said, all right, who was it left this out? And guess what? None of them admitted to it. None of them. Finally, I think my wife said I did it just so, she said she did it just so I'd shut up, amen? But I did. I said, who left this out? I was going to nail them down and make them pick it up and put it where it's supposed to be, amen? I know I'm a mean daddy. But anyway, what did they do? They all clammed up. They just looked at me. You know what that is? That's the nature of the flesh. None of us like to admit when we're wrong. None of us like to admit that we've done something that we shouldn't have done. David said there was a time when I kept silent. There was a time when I didn't confess my sin. I didn't open my mouth and agree with God against myself. And if you're lost tonight and you keep silent, then you run a high risk of dying lost and going to hell. And if you're saved and you keep silent, when you have issues of sin in your life, then what's going to happen to you is you're going to have broken fellowship with the Lord. You're not going to be lost, but you're not going to have that peace and that joy and that strength of walking with God. So David is reminding us tonight, the hiding place of the Lord, he helps us with our supplication. First of all, David mentions silence, but then he mentions the suffering of that silence in verse 3 also. He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. David said, I was suffering. Have you, ever, have you ever done something you shouldn't have done since you got saved? I know you have. <clears throat> you don't have to raise your hand and nod your head. If you've been alive any length of time, you've been there. And when you did it and you knew you shouldn't have done it or something you shouldn't have said, something you shouldn't have thought, there was an aching inside. I mean, just the gnawing inside. Uh, the bones, if you will, were waxing old, as David was saying. He was hurting inside because of his transgression. You get around somebody that's been saved, and yet they're in transgression, you can just about read it on their face. You can just about tell it. They don't have joy. They, they have an aching look on their face. They have an empty look on their face. And the people like that, they are either never been saved or they've been saved, and they're living contrary to the Word of God. They're living in transgression, and God is trying to get them right. And what they're doing is just holding on to that sin. They're being silent. And David gives us the analogy of suffering here. He said, I was suffering because I was holding on to that sin. You know, this very well may have been the sin with Bathsheba that David is talking about because you remember it was a span of time from the time David committed that sin in 2 Samuel 11 until 2 Samuel 12 when the prophet came and spoke to him, Nathan the prophet, and said, Thou art the man. So it very well may have been that span of time in that sin. I don't know it for sure. But David was talking about the aching, the suffering, the waxing old of his bones, the hurting on the inside, because he would not just confess it to the Lord. Then notice in verse 4, as David's telling us about getting help with his supplication, he moves on to the sentence of it. Look in verse 4. In verse 4 he said, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. You know what we call that tonight? We call that old-fashioned conviction. Now, sinners need conviction to be saved. 
And saved people need conviction to get things right with God when they've went astray. So David's dealing with old-fashioned conviction. David is dealing with the hand of God heavy upon him, pressing upon him. David goes on to tell us in verse 4, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. He did not get any rest. If you allow sin in your life and you don't deal with it, as a child of God, you will not have rest. You mark her down. You won't be able to find rest. You, you might try everything in the world to get rest, but God is going to see to it that His heavy hand is upon you, and you will not get the rest that you're seeking until you get right with God. So David said God put a sentence on him, and that sentence was a sentence of chastisement. It's just like our children. When our children do wrong, we chastise them, and we do that so that they will correct. We do that so that they'll realize that they're wrong, they'll realize they need some help, and it'll push them and spur them to make a move to get things right. And that's what David was experiencing here. He's experiencing this sentence upon him, and the Lord does this. Why? Because he wants to develop us, not destroy us. Alright, so you see help with supplication. David now, in verse number 4, God has brought him to the place where he's about to get right with God. God's brought him to the place he's dealt with his sin. He's his hiding place. He's his helper. He's dealt with his sin. He's, he's bringing him to a point of supplicating and talking to God. And now, the third thing I want you to notice tonight in verse 5 is David is now going to tell us how the hiding place is going to help us with our submission. Many, many times we've got to submit to the Lord. Many, many times when we've held that in and we've not been right with God and we need to make some changes and we're not willing to do that, God brings us to that place to where we would submit to Him. Do you remember a good, good Old Testament example? You remember Esau? You remember how Esau had, uh, Jacob had tricked Esau? And finally there in the book of Genesis, Jacob and Esau are about to meet. And on the way to meet that night, God meets Jacob before Esau meets him. You remember he's down by the brook Jabbok there and the angel of the Lord wrestled with him. And uh, what was God trying to do to Jacob? He was trying to get him to submit. He was trying to get him to give in and to turn his life over to the Lord instead of going his own way. So David is giving us that same thought here. Now in verse number 5, let's look at the conclusion. In verse number 5, there's a turning point with David in this situation. He said, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. Now up until this point, David had hid that iniquity. Up until this point... <coughs> Excuse me, he had been silent. He had not came to the Lord and spoke to the Lord as he should have. But in verse number 5, David comes to a conclusion, I can't take this anymore. David comes to a conclusion, I can't live this way anymore. Have you ever been not right with God since you've been saved? Have you ever been backslid? And backslid's not just being out of church and out in the world and making a gom of your life. You, you can be backslid sitting on a church pew. Uh, there are multitudes of people go to church three times a week, and there is backslid in their heart as the day is long. They're not where they need to be. There's something in there that's not right. Eventually, it will physically take you out of church if you don't deal with it. But David comes to the conclusion here, hey, i got to acknowledge my sin. He comes to the realization, I ain't getting nowhere with this. My, my Lord wants to help me. And the quicker we as God's children, the quicker we acknowledge our sin, the better it is. I heard an old preacher say one time, he said, keep your sins on a short list. Boy, that's the truth. As a child of God, we ought not let unconfessed sin pile up in our life. We ought not let iniquity just go on and on. I mean, the moment, the very moment that the Spirit of God reveals to us that we've sinned against God, that's the very moment we need to stop and say, oh, Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, I'm sorry about that. Make an effort to turn from that. Deal with that sin the moment moment God pricks your heart. The longer you wait, the less apt you are to deal with it in a timely manner. And David comes to that conclusion in verse 5. And then he makes a confession in verse 5. Look at what he said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, here's David's confession, 
How do we confess? We confess with the mouth, according to Romans chapter 10. He said, I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. You see what happened to David? You see these conditions here? God wanted to forgive David. God wants to forgive people. I want you to understand that tonight. God wants to save sinners, and He wants to restore backsliders. He is anxious to do that. He loves doing that. God loves saving sinners. He loves reaching down and restoring a backslider that's went away from the Lord. He loves that. It's just like, just like us with our children. When our children go wrong and they do something wrong, we don't want them to stay that way. We don't want to punish them and drive them away. We want to punish them according to God's Word so that they'll come back and there'll be a restoration and things will be as they were before the transgression was made. And that's what David is talking about, how the Lord has brought him to this place and he's now confessing this. He's now coming clean before God. In verse number 5, he said, I will confess my transgressions and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. There, there's that conditional promise there. When David confessed, God forgave. You might be here tonight and you say, well, I don't think God's forgave me of this or that. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you confessed it? Have you come clean? Have you come before God and said, it's me, Lord. I'm the one that did that. It reminds me of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 when they sinned in the garden and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the day. What did they do? They had already sowed fig leaves around them, a type of religion. They had made their own man-made religion and they ran and they hid in the trees of the garden. And the Lord showed up and the Lord said, Where art thou? God didn't say that because He didn't know where they were at. He knew what blade of grass they were hiding under. But He said that so that Adam would realize, We're in a mess. We're hiding from God. It's never good to hide from God. It's never good to hide away from God. David is transitioning here from hiding from God to hiding in God. That's what this psalm is about. When he opens up in verse 1, he's talking about sin. You know what sin will do? It'll make you hide from God. Sin will make you get out of church. Sin will make you get away from the Bible. Sin will make you dodge the preacher in Walmart. Oh yeah, I've seen it happen before. I've come down the I have. I've come down the aisle before, seen people that were out of church, and phew, watch them dodge. And I've tried my best, not to be mean, but I've tried my best to run them down. Not to be hateful, not to be mean, but say, hey, how I hope the Spirit of God's eating at them. I, how you doing? Boy, we missed you. Yeah, everybody doing good. And you can just see them. They want to get away from you. Amen? And I don't do that to be mean. I do that because I want them to get right with God. I want them to get back where they need to be. And tonight, God wants us to remedy our sin. He wants us to come to Him. David now is transitioning from hiding from God to getting in the hiding place where he needs to be. So you see, we get help with our submission. There's a conclusion here. There's a confession in verse 5 when David cried out, I will confess. And then in verse 6, look at the confidence of this. In verse 6, David said, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. I think I mentioned this in a message the other day. But you know why David was a man after God's own heart? Because he was willing to confess. He was willing to come clean with God. David did not live a perfect life. I heard a preacher say this one time, David's not the kind of guy you want living next door if you're out of town all the time. Amen? David did not live a clean life. David committed some horrible, wicked, vile sins. That doesn't justify it. But the fact that David was willing to get right with God made him a man after God's own heart. And tonight, if you and I want to be a, a man, a woman, a young person after God's own heart, we need to be confessing when we're wrong. We need to get it out. We need to come clean before the Lord. And don't wait and let it build up and infect you and infect your family and infect your church. But get before God say, Lord, it's me. I've done wrong. And I want to get it right. David said we can have confidence in verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. David said I now have the confidence that God is going to take care of me. Do you know when a, when a, when a believer is in sin, when a Christian is backslidden, do you know we lose all confidence 
I'm going to help you here with something tonight. Now, I know, I know that there are some church people, church members that are lost. I understand that. I understand all across the world, if you lump all the churches together, there are some people that are sitting on a church pew that have never been saved. Now, I, I don't think that, I mean, I do believe that they know that. I don't think God is hiding from those kind of people. I don't think it's some mysterious thing. But I know there are some church people that are, their name's on the roll, but they're not saved. But I'm going to tell you what most doubting problems are. Most doubting, salvation doubting problems are sin problems. Most of the time, not every time, but most of the time when you find somebody that's doubting their salvation, it's not the fact that they've never been saved. It's the fact that they've got unconfessed sin in their life. And it's the fact that God is stirring the waters of their heart and making them miserable until they get that thing right. And they're thinking in their mind, well, I just may not be saved. No, it's a pretty good evidence that you probably are saved. Before I got saved, my heart wasn't troubled about sin. Before I got saved and I did things wrong, it didn't bother me. As long as I didn't call, get called, I was fine. But after I got saved, just a wrong thought troubles my heart. Just a wrong motive troubles my heart. And, and there's many people that don't have that confidence. They've been saved, but they've got some kind of iniquity in their life. And until they confess that, they're not going to get the assurance of salvation. David tells us right here, he said this, for in verse 6 again, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters, he's talking about trials here. Surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. God will deliver us out of those turmoils and those trials of the soul when we confess things to him. Now, notice this, number 4, I'm moving on, look at this. We see that our hiding place, He helps us with our sin. He helps us with our supplication and our submission. But notice how this progresses. When you get to verse 7, David is telling us how the hiding place, the Lord, helps us with our security. David is moving from a point of sinfulness to a point of security. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, this is our key verse, he tells us about the place of security. David's security is not in the temple, even though that's very important. David's security is not in the tribe that he's out of, even though that's wonderful and the promised seed of Christ came through that tribe. David is not secure in his own life and his own doings. But look at where his hiding place is. He said, Thou, speaking of God personally, he said, Thou art my hiding place. What you find here tonight is the place of security. The only real place of security is in Christ. It's the only place to be secure. And even if you're saved and you're positionally in Christ, but yet you have some sin in your life and you're not walking close to Him, the only security you're going to get is when you get back where you're supposed to be. People that have been saved and they're out of church and they backslid on God, they don't have any security. Their lives are miserable. Their lives are a mess. You say, wait a minute, preacher, I know a guy got saved when he was 10 years old, and, and I'm not against people getting saved at 10. Uh, I have no problem with that. But you might say, oh, I know a guy got saved when he was 10 years old, and now he's 70 and ain't been in church since, and it don't bother him. Well, his problem is he just ain't never been saved. But when, when, it, when you've been saved, God's going to trouble your heart. God's going to deal with you, and that's what David is talking about. God's going to bring us to that place to where we need to find security. The place of security is in the Lord alone. Child of God, you will never find security in this world. You will never find security in a bank account. You will never find security in the possessions you can lay your hands on. That is fleeting happiness. You might enjoy it for a while. We've all had things that we wanted, right? Not sinful things, just things out there that we wanted. Maybe we saved the money and we worked hard and we got it and we purchased that thing. And for a little while we thought, yes, this is what I want. Maybe a new car. Some of you men may be a new gun. Some of you ladies may be a new gun. I don't know. Maybe you, I hope you like guns too. But you got that thing and you thought, boy, I've been wanting one of these. I needed it. You worked overtime. You saved. You, you ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches so you could afford it. Amen. And I mean, you got that thing and you got a hold of it and you thought, yes, this is what I want. And six weeks later or less than that, it was old to you. Didn't, there's no security in that tonight. There's no real lasting peace in that. Our peace, our security comes from our hiding place which is the Lord Himself. So you see the place of security. Notice this. 
the preservation of security. Look on in verse 7. He said, Thou, speaking of the Lord, thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me. David is very confident here as he pins these words down. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. Now, I thought about this. I thought about the word, the phrase here, songs of deliverance. David here is talking about preservation. He's talking about God preserving us. When we enter into that hiding place and when we abide in that hiding place. Psalm 91, when we get there, whenever we get there. uh, I love Psalm 91, one of my favorite songs. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, the key to Psalm 91.1 is he that dwelleth. That means we got to stay there. It's not talking about salvation. Again, it's talking about our walk with God. He that dwelleth, he that stays put, he that keeps himself <clears throat> under the shadow of the Almighty. Not Again, not talking about keeping our salvation. We know we can't do that. It's talking about our fellowship, our walk with God. So David here is telling us that God will preserve those that will hide in Him. God will preserve us when we trust Him. Look at that part of verse 7 again. He said, Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about, which means to circle about, with songs of deliverance. I thought about this today. I thought about why would you have a song of deliverance unless you had been delivered. You're not going to sing a song of deliverance until you get through something. One of the greatest songs of deliverance is found in Exodus 15. Right after the Lord delivers the nation of Israel, Moses, from Pharaoh's hand across the Red Sea, and they sung a song of deliverance. David is talking about singing a song of deliverance. Why? Because God has delivered him. He said, you've compassed me about. You you give me security. There's one good thing about our hymns and our songs and our our spiritual songs. They, they, They develop security. You don't believe me? All right, every time somebody says, let's sing 346, what does that do to your heart? Stirs your heart up. Why? Because you know that we're getting ready to sing, my name is there. You know that we're getting ready to sing a song about being kept by the power of God. Those songs will increase our security. That's what David's talking about. This song of deliverance. Songs of deliverance. Now notice the place of security. Verse 7, the preservation of security in verse 7. But then notice the provision of security in verse 8. Look at what David said. He said this, Speaking of the Lord, speaking to him, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. David here is talking about provision. Where does our provision come from? From God's Word. Where does our instruction come from? It's from God's Word. If you want instruction, you go to the Word of God. If you want to be a complete, mature, what the Bible calls a perfect Christian, that doesn't mean sinless, that just means mature, complete... If you want that kind of Christian life, you're going to have to have a right relationship with the Word of God. You're going to have to get daily instruction out of the Word of God. If you don't get it, you'll make bad decisions. I've been in this thing long enough, many of you have. I've watched people that I really believe in my heart were saved by the grace of God make some of the dumbest spiritual decisions I've ever seen in my life. I've seen people go down some pathways that they knew better, and it was wrong, and everybody was telling them, You know why they did that? Because they were not in tune with God's Word. They were not listening. They were not reading. They were not meditating on the Word of God. If you'll stay in this book, you'll make right decisions. If you'll stay in this book, you won't take your family to Moab. If you'll stay in this book, you won't camp out down in Sodom and Gomorrah. If you'll stay in this book, you will be preserved by the very words of God. David is telling us here tonight about this preservation, this provision that comes from God's Word. But then look at the power of security found also in verse 8. Look at the last sentence of verse 8. I love this. This reminds me of a parent-child relationship, or at least what ought to be a parent-child relationship. He said, I will guide thee with mine eye. Amen. Now, I'm thankful I was raised this way, and I tried to raise my children this way, but I'm glad that you can guide your children with your eye. If you mean business, and if you'll be a disciplinarian, there'll come a time where you can guide your children with your eye. So what are you talking about? I'm talking about that evil eye. You give your children, you know, when you look at them and they're across the room and they're doing something they're supposed to be doing, and you look at them and you look, you know, you drop your eyebrow. They know if you've disciplined them. Now, most kids nowadays, they don't know what discipline is. Most parents don't know what discipline is. Say amen right there. They let them run like a bunch of wild Indians. 
But in my generation, when I was brought up, you got the evil eye, amen? And you might have got it from a parent, you might have got it from a teacher, you might have got it from anybody that was older than you. I can remember several times having bus drivers that were not much older than me look up in that mirror and look back in it, and you knew what they meant. God's giving us the same illustration here. Notice what David tells us. He said, God said, I will guide thee with mine eye. You know what that is? That's the power of security. The eye of the parent looking at that child lets him know that I'm watching you. What is security? Security is overwatch. Security is being watched. In, in the military, if you had security, you had overwatch. You get up in a, a place, elevated place, and you could watch over what's going on. You were in security there. God watches over His children. And with His eye, He performs security in our life, if we'll pay attention to Him. And let me give you one more thing. We'll be done tonight. We're talking about getting help from the hiding place. The final thing, the fifth thing tonight, David said we get help with our strength. And you'll notice, about every one of these psalms are, are illustrated the same way, but you'll notice there's progression in these psalms. He starts out at the bottom, and he winds up at the top. He starts out discouraged, and he winds up victorious. He starts out down, and he winds up lifted up. Same thing's happening right here. That's why the Psalms are such a great book to read. I'm telling you, if you deal with depression or if you deal with anxiety or you deal with struggles, and we all do to some degree, but if it's hitting you hard, find yourself in the book of Psalms. I mean, meditate on the book of Psalms. I'm telling you, it will help you tremendously. And look at verse 9. He's talking about getting help with our strength. In verse 9, look at our learning here. Remember, this is an instructive psalm. That's what the title of this psalm is. In verse 9, he said, he's given us an, a, a natural illustration. We're country people here tonight, so we're going to understand what verse 9 says. He said, Be ye not as a horse or as a mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held with a bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Anybody other than me in this sanctuary tonight been called stubborn as a mule before? <laughs> Amen. That was a phrase we used a lot. I still use it sometimes. Stubborn as a mule. Well, that's what David is telling us here in the Word of God. He said, don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule. He said, learn some things. <clears throat> you can take that whole... And I realize, I realize I've not worked either one a lot. If, if Dylan was here tonight, he could tell you more about it. He was worked horses growing up, and his daddy did, and some of you probably did. But I realize they learned some things. But for the most part, when you get that horse or that mule out, you better have a bit in their mouth. You, you better have a halter on them. You better, have, you, better not, you better not just pull them out with no kind of constraint mechanism. I did a job for a man one time, and one of his side jobs was breaking horses. And I'm telling you, it takes somebody that's something's wrong to want to break wild horses. I just couldn't do it. But this man had been working on a thoroughbred, a big old high thoroughbred. That's them kind of horses that they run in the Kentucky Derby. And that thing broke on him, and he said, I knew what to do. It was running, and he said, I knew if I could get its head turned, it would just run around in a circle until it quit. He said, I couldn't get its head turned. He said, somehow or another, I let up on the reins, and that thing rolled the bit to the front of its teeth and clamped down on it. And he said, I couldn't get that bit to buy. And he said, I rode till he slung me off. Guy was in a cast, had his arm all cast up. Uh, why? Because he didn't have control of that horse. And the Bible's telling us right here tonight, be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding. they got to have a bit in their mouth. Every time you get them out, you got to put that bit back in their mouth. you got to let them know who the boss is. you got to pull back on those reins. God is telling us tonight to not be that way, to learn something. If we go out one day in our Christian life and God whips us for something, don't go out and do it again the next day. Or the next week, learn from it. Don't be that stubborn mule or that stubborn horse. I see some of you ladies looking at your husbands. Don't go home and call them a stubborn mule. And men, whatever you do, don't call your wife a stubborn mule. Or uh, marriage counseling uh, will be on Tuesdays, I guess. Amen. You'll need it. Don't do that. But God's telling us tonight, don't be that way. Learn. Learn from God's Word. Grow in grace. Understand that God wants us to, hit, uh, us to allow Him to be our hiding place. He wants us to hide in Him, to learn of Him. Right, he mentions our learning. I'm almost done. He mentions our leaning. Look in verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. 
Now, that goes to people that are lost, and that goes for God's people that want to live wicked. If we choose to live wicked, you can mark it down. The Bible has numerous verses in Proverbs and Psalms about this. If you choose to walk wicked, you're going to have many sorrows. If you choose to live contrary to the Word of God, just write it down. It's going to happen. You're going to have many sorrows. David is telling us tonight we need to learn how to lean on the Lord. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but... He that trusteth in the Lord, that's, that's where we lean. If you're trusting the Lord, you lean on Him. He that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. That's what I want tonight. I want to lean on the Lord. I want mercy around me. Brother Mays Jackson used to preach and talked about there in Psalm 23, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He said, I think those are guardian angels. And he said, every now and then, I'll say, crowd me, boys. I'm feeling a little lonely. Amen. He said, I want to know they're there. Goodness and mercy. I'm glad the mercy of God, when we lean on Him, when we run to that hiding place... You ever seen little chickens, little bitties, and you ever seen ducks and things like that when trouble comes or the shadow of that red-tailed hawk comes by? Where do they go? They go to their hiding place. They go to their mama. Sometimes I think animals got more sense than God's people, don't they? They know where their hiding place is. Why don't we know that tonight? Why don't we realize where our hiding place is and run to Him and stay as close to Him as we can? You see, our leaning is mentioned and then... Thank God he, he winds this up here. Uh, look at what he said in verse 11. This, this, is, this is our rejoicing and our laughter that is mentioned here. He said, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. See what I said? We, we start out in verse 1. He's talking about sins being forgiven. We get to verse 11. What is David saying? We're rejoicing. The righteous are rejoicing. They're shouting for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. That's where God wants us to live tonight. If we'll live in the hiding place, if we'll stay close to the hiding place, we can have joy. We can have rejoicing. If at any time in our life we sense there's no joy in our heart as a Christian, if at any time we sense there's no rejoicing, that ought to be a red flag indicator that there's something not right in our life. It may be minute. It may be something that nobody else knows about. It may be something very simple. But if your rejoicing's not there, if your joy's not there, and the Bible talks about, David said in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's where our joy is at. If we don't have that joy, then we're, there's something in our life that's there that shouldn't be there. There's something missing. There's something that we need to talk to the Lord. Do what David did and get in that hiding place. Again, verse 7, I'll read this and I'm done. David said, Thou art my hiding place. He was rejoicing over the fact that he learned to trust the Lord. He learned to hide in the Lord. He learned to stay close to the Lord Himself. And that's where His victory, that's where His power was. We can have that same victory, that same power tonight, if we want it, if we'll stay close to the Lord, if we'll let Him be our hiding place. Amen. You have the message tonight.